In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the story of Christ healing uh, a demon-possessed man. And we read in verse 22, Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. We see in the life of Christ all throughout his ministry that he is constantly tending to the needs of other people and serving others and lifting them up, healing them from diseases, from demon possession, from all kinds of things. He wasn't just a preacher. He wasn't just a person who went and he taught to the people. And he actually wasn't even just, when we speak about the work of salvation that Christ did, you know, he came in order to die for our sins. But he did much more than this. He didn't just come and live his life and then die and then now salvation is accomplished. We see the way that he dealt with people and he lifted people up and he made people to feel uh, worthy uh, and, and to feel the love that he had for him for them in every way. Last week we spoke uh, about this idea of lifting other people up and today we're going to continue this topic. Last time we spoke about what are some of the ways that we can lift people up as Christ did. And today we're going to speak about what are some ways we should not lift. Maybe some wrong ideas and wrong misperceptions that we have about how, what is my obligation to other people and how is it that I should deal with other people. And, and in my mind I'm doing this out of love, but maybe it's not really love. Maybe there's, there's something else there that we should um, understand and realize that's going to affect the way that we treat other people. And, and this is basically because the world has taken the love of God and has twisted it. That, that the world has taken what was intended to be love uh, and twisted it to make it to be something different, to be something else. And sometimes we fall into this trap of, sh of thinking that we are showing love to people when we are really not, um, as the world teaches. So we're going to speak about that today. But as a quick recap of last time when we spoke about how to lift other people, um, the first uh, way we discussed was making others feel that they are needed. We spoke about how Christ always involved other people in the service, not because he needed them, because he wanted them to feel like they are important and that God wants them to serve. Number two is having patience with those who are working with him, that when God involves us in the service, definitely we are not going to be doing the work as good as he will do. And yet he has patience on us and he allows us to participate in the work with him even when we fail, even when we question, even when we doubt, even when we don't do a good job as he would have done on his own, he still allows us to work with him and he has patience with us until we grow and we learn. The third way that he lifted up people is by acknowledging those who are lowly in heart. Those people like Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector that climbed the sycamore tree, those people who were outcasts of society, those people who were sinners, those people God paid special attention to them, those people that society hated, maybe those are the ones that Christ went to the most. The fourth way that Christ lifted up people is by choosing those who are not well regarded, those people that didn't have good reputation, or those people who were not very well qualified according to the standard of the world, those are the people that Christ chose for the ministry. Also, he defended sinners, those people who were being attacked, those people who were provably wrong, those people who clearly were, you know, had committed immor immoral acts, those actually were the people that he went to and he had mercy on and he showed them his love because they repented of their sins. Um, the sixth way that we, that we spoke about Christ lifting up people is he was giving hope to those people who fell into sin. When someone would fall into sin, he wouldn't immediately cast judgment on them. And even if the rest of the world and the rest of the people and the Pharisees were judging them, he did not judge them. And actually, he gave them good things. He gave the good things to those even who had fallen that were repenting. 
And then finally, he re rewards everyone equally, even those who offer less than others. Spoke that even the person who comes and offers something very simple, that God rewards that people, maybe the same or more than other people that might be offering the most. Someone like the, the poor woman who gave her two mites uh, in the donation box in the synagogue. This woman, even though she offered less than everyone, and yet God exalted her and said what she is giving out of her need, and, and it is hard for her to give what she is giving, and so he praised her for what she did. So those are some of the ways, seven ways that we spoke about last time, that Christ lifts up other people, and how we as well should be lifting up others. That we should not be only focusing on the outward, but we should be focusing on the inward. Who am I and who are these people that God is calling me to love and to serve? What are some ways, though, that we should not be tolerating? Or some not, ways that we should not be lifting? Ways that, that, that the world teaches, perhaps, that we should treat each other, which they consider to be moral or ethical or good, but actually it's an abomination to God. The first way we should not lift up people is by tolerating irreverence. An example of this is when Christ saw the money changers in the temple. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. This image, and whenever we try to imagine this image of Christ going into the temple and overturning tables of the money changers, maybe the only time we've ever seen anyone overturn tables is someone who has been in such a rage and such an anger that that you know we would be frightened of such a person to see someone doing this and yet Christ not out of his own personal anger but in order to preserve and to protect the sanctity of the temple then this he came and did this as a, a to show how much that these people are defiling the temple to show how much these people are destroying the holiness of God's house and so he felt that it was right in order to do such an act that was so uh, you know clear and obvious and so, so like getting people's attention that he would even go to this extent. So if he would not tolerate irreverence, even though he is the most loving, the most merciful, the most forgiving, the most compassionate, the most kind out of anyone, and yet this is the way that he responded even in his own house to protect the sanctity of his house. This tells us something about the way that we should be dealing with others. Because sometimes, and as Christians, we're always told, and rightly so, that we should be kind and compassionate, merciful and patient and all those things, and we should be. But when it comes time to someone blaspheming God, then it is not our role to simply excuse it for the sake of avoiding offense. For the sake of simply, I don't want to offend my neighbor, I don't want to offend these people, and so for that reason, I'm just going to stay quiet and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to take any action. I'm not going to somehow indicate or point out that this is irreverent action, that this is something wrong that these people are doing. Christ gave us the example himself, that he being the most loving, and then this is the way actually he expressed his love. And why is this? Because those people who were selling in the temple they're the ones that were losing on their salvation because they disrespected the temple. Because, because this was the place for their own salvation and they didn't see it. They didn't notice, they didn't realize that this is the place of salvation. Instead, for them, it was a marketplace. It was a place they would buy and sell like any other place. And they saw this as an opportunity even to like cheat the people out of their money but with very exorbitant exchange rates. These people, these money changers, they were taking the money of the people and essentially exchanging them for what was called the temple money. In order for these uh, people coming to offer sacrifices, to buy the sacrifice for them to offer in the temple, they couldn't just spend directly their own money. They would convert it to this other currency called the temple money, 
and then the temple money would be used then to buy the sacrifice. So these money changers, they were charging these very high exchange rates in order for them to make money, essentially off of the salvation of other people. Saying, you want to come and offer a sacrifice? Okay, yeah, but I need a cut. I need a cut from this. Because this was a requirement for every single Jewish person every year to come to the temple and to offer sacrifice. So it was a very lucrative business. And here Christ seeing the, the, the wrong intentions and how these money changers, they wanted to profit from the salvation of people, he saw it in two ways. One is the, the needs or the, 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 the feelings of these money changers was not higher than the needs of all the other people. All the other people were being hurt. Their salvation was being hurt because of the actions of these few people. And so Christ made it very clear that he will not tolerate it. He didn't come and say, you know, sometimes like what we say, yes, but we don't want to hurt their feelings and we don't want these to be. Yes, of course, obviously, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but sometimes we don't have an option. Sometimes there is no option. And here he's saying, I don't want you to, to, to you know, to defile my house by treating in this way. And now when everyone comes to the temple, they're coming with this mindset of this is just a place for buying and selling. This is a market. Right? This is not a place of salvation. It was destroying the, the image of the temple. It was destroying the function, the purpose of the temple, of why even people were coming to the temple to begin with. And so it was very, very important. It was very important that, that he were able to make this statement, that he makes this statement. So it was very clear that everybody understood why this was happening. The second way that we are called not to lift up others is agreeing with others just to gain approval. To agree, to agree with others just to gain approval. When Christ was um, speaking to his disciples and St. Peter was there and uh, he was speaking to them about who he was and St. Peter gave his confession of faith and said, you are the son of the living God. And when he revealed to the apostles for the first time that we, he would have to die and be crucified, this is what uh, 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 St. Peter said. St. Peter essentially said, no, I, I will not allow this to happen to you. And Christ responded and said, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He was very direct with, with uh, Peter to the point of even calling him Satan. And he called him Satan not because he was actually Satan or demonic or demon-possessed. He called him this because just as Satan wants to stop the, 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 the process of salvation and salvation to be accomplished, here essentially St. Peter, by saying, no, I will not allow anyone to crucify you, was essentially also being like an obstacle to salvation because Christ came to be crucified. So here, even though St. Peter was uh, an apostle, and, and even though St. Peter was a good worker and he, he, he served and he cast out demons and he did all kinds of things and he loved the Lord, and yet Christ did not shy away from being very direct to him and saying, get behind me, Satan, right? What does this mean? This doesn't mean we should be calling each other Satan. <laughs> what it means is that we need to be very clear with one another when there is something that we are doing that is wrong, right? That is something we're doing wrong. Again, we, we, we fall back on this idea of I don't want to offend people, right? And again, not offending people is good. If we can avoid offending people, that's good. But sometimes we don't have a choice. Sometimes there is no option, right? Sometimes it's either I'm going to open my mouth and say something that will offend someone, or I'm just going to stay quiet and I can't say anything. And we have to ask ourselves, which is the greater good? 
in that case. Here, Christ was very direct in rebuking St. Peter, and he said to, to him, no, this is wrong. What you are teaching is wrong. What you are doing is wrong. You have to change your actions. You have to change what it is that you're doing. So we shouldn't just be in the, in the you know, as the world is becoming more and more secular, as the world is becoming more and more anti-Christian, we find ourselves in places and in circumstances where essentially in order for me to, to not compromise my faith, I have to say something. I have to open my mouth. I have to stand against the current that is around me, even if it means there is some personal uh, consequences that I experience in my own life as a result of this. I'm not saying that we are going to go and judging everyone around us and telling everyone you guys are doing sin and you're doing this. But when it comes to me personally, when someone comes to me and wants me to believe a certain thing or to do a certain thing or to live my life a certain way, this is when we really have to think, okay, no, I am not going to just stay quiet and accept, you know, whatever other people are imposing on me and agreeing with them simply because I want to avoid the consequences of that decision. No, instead, I'm going to what? I'm going to stand up for what I believe. The martyrs that came before us, they literally shed their blood for this. They literally allowed themselves to be killed because they would not give in to what other people were telling them to do. We in the West especially have become so used to the idea of personal freedom and respecting of everybody to where, to where you know, we've become accustomed to the idea that being a Christian costs me nothing. It costs me nothing, you know? Uh, I say I'm a Christian, I come to church, I don't really have to sacrifice anything as far as the rest of the world. People respect me in my daily life, and so, you know, that's the way I've expected it to be. More and more, and in the future even more, this will not be the case. We are not going to be respected because we're Christians. We're not going to be well-treated because we're Christians. We're going to be persecuted because we're Christians. And those who have lived in Egypt and those who have lived in other areas around the world where they've experienced this persecution all throughout understand this very well. But maybe here in the West, we have forgotten this. We have forgotten it. To us, being a Christian is just the place that I go to on Sunday morning, right? All throughout history, and certainly in the Bible, we see that the decision to become a Christian was essentially saying, I am willing to die. Because you would very, very easily die for being a Christian back in the biblical times or in other times during history, right? So here what I should put in my mind that my decision of being a faithful Christian is that I am not simply going to blend in with everyone. I'm going to stand out. I'm going to stick out. I'm going to, I'm going to stick out not because I'm trying to, not because I'm, I'm going around to every person and condemning everyone and saying, all of you are going to hell. That's not why. I'm going to stick out because I am going to make choices for myself that are going to, they're going to stand out from the choices that other people make. I'm going to make choices for myself so that when people come to me and see that I am not willing to do what they do, or I'm not willing to go where they go, or they ask me, why do you live your life a certain way? And I'm clear and honest. And I say, this is why I'm living my life this way. I'm living my life for this reason, this way, because I'm a believer in, in the Lord, right? Not for other reasons, not trying to hide it, not trying to camouflage it, not trying to avoid it, but being very clear, this is who I am. And as of today, in most places, I would think that we are not going to lose our life because of that declaration. So the, the amount of sacrifice that we make in our Christian life is, is, is what is going to make our Christianity real. It's what's going to make it real, that I'm truly sacrificing. I'm not here because I'm receiving from God blessings. I'm not here because I want what God wants to give me. I'm here because I want to give to the Lord, right? This is the way I express my love to God. Another way that we don't lift up others is by neglecting the correction of sin. 
Christ, he was always rebuking the Pharisees. It said in Matthew 23, verse 13, says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He was rebuking them, right? And he, he, wasn't not, he was not just accepting what it is that they were doing. He was not just kind of putting it under the rug. Right? And he felt that it was his responsibility to correct this. It was his responsibility to correct this sin, to, to correct what it is that he saw in front of him that people were doing wrong. And he was bold in his correction. And again, these people, these Pharisees, because of their hypocrisy, they were affecting the whole nation. Right? They were affecting all of the Jews. They were putting this, like poisoning the mind of all of the Jews. And so he had to directly uh, address this sin that they were doing. Again, sometimes when, as a Christian, when we uh, rebuke others, we tell other people that um, maybe it's something that they're doing is wrong, we feel nervous about this. Okay, we feel nervous. One thing that's important for us to communicate to people is that we are under the same law as everyone else. Like, I am under the same law as you. So, for instance, if, if I'm going to tell someone that a certain action is a sin, right, I myself am under that law. If I commit that sin, if I break that law, then I myself am going to suffer for that. I myself am I'm, I'm, I'm considered a sinner for that. I'm not coming to tell you that I am better than you. I'm coming to tell you that this is God's standard. And both you and I are sinners. Both you and I are sinners. And for this reason, we need a savior. For this need, reason, we need salvation. When I come and, 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 and rebuke someone, right? We are not like the Lord who is perfect who is going to come and point his finger and rebuke others, okay? Even when we rebuke someone, we realize that I myself am liable to fall. I myself am weak. I'm, I myself have my own sin. And so it's difficult for me to, to like pretend as though I have no sin and to judge others. Instead, he's saying what? You are under the law. You examine yourself, and then you also see and point out what, can, what should be corrected in others. The fourth way that we are called not to lift up others in, in the wrong way, is to compromise the truth to make it suit everyone. Christ made it clear that the path that we are to walk is a narrow path. It says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. This idea of the narrow road and the narrow path communicates something very important about salvation. It communicates something very important about eternal life that this is not a wide open road where the majority of people are going to enter. And if we really think about this, it's frightening. Okay, this is, this is, this is, he's speaking about there are few who find it. There are few. You know, the number, when you hear about the word few, the word few is a very low number. It's not like a majority. It's not most. Saying this is the narrow path of salvation that Christ is calling us to. So if we really truly love as Christians, if we truly love others, then the way that I show my love is not just smiling and nodding and making people feel comfortable. The way that I truly show love is to make sure that the people that I'm speaking to are on the narrow path, are on the narrow path. At the end of the world, at the day of judgment, those people who maybe I neglected to correct, those people that I neglected to, sp to tell about the good news, those people that I neglected to, to, to point in the right direction, they're not going to come to us and say, I wish you were nicer to me. No, they're going to say, I wish you, you were more clear with me. 
I wish that you told me. I wish that you made me to see. Now, maybe there's nothing we can do to make a lot of people see. A lot of people don't want to see and cannot see, right? But it is our role to try, to try in whatever way makes sense, depending on our relationship with them. But it is not to compromise the truth. It is not simply to accept the behaviors and actions that are in the world in just, you know, because we're afraid of the consequences if we don't, because we don't want to offend people. The, the message that God gives us is very clear. This is the truth. I'll give you an example. After Christ was explaining to the people that they must eat his body and drink his blood, in John chapter 6, it says what? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? When Christ spoke the truth, the truth of salvation to the people, and people became offended by it, and they left him completely. He didn't run after them. He didn't try to change the message. He said, this is the message. I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to be offended. But this is the message. This is the truth. This is salvation. And then he turned to the disciples themselves as, do you accept this? He would have even lost his disciples. He would not have changed the message, even if they wanted to leave. Right? So we should not and cannot compromise the truth. We cannot. We live in a world where the truth is more than at any time in history being maligned, destroyed, confused, you know, in so many ways it's, it's, it's confusing in these days. And especially for those who are young and still don't understand and children that it's so important for us to teach them the truth, that there is a truth. And what is practiced in the world to such a large extent is not the truth. We have to hold fast to the truth and not compromise it because this is the truth that God has given. This is the truth of salvation. And then finally, the last way that we should not lift up other people in a wrong way is that we should not speak in relative terms to avoid offending others. When we speak about salvation, when Christ speaks about salvation, John chapter 3, he says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. But the wrath of God abides on him. John 3.16, which is a very, very famous verse, for he who believes in the Lord essentially will have eternal life. Okay? For he who believes in Christ will have eternal life. This is a popular verse, right? A lot of people will quote John 3.16, and John 3.16 speaks about the positive. Like, okay, when you believe in the Lord, what will happen? You will have eternal life. Here in John 3.36, he speaks about both. He says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. But if you ask so many of the youth in the church, and this has been done by survey, do you believe that, this, the, that, that the Christ is the only way of salvation? Many, many people will say no. Why? Because they have friends of every religion. They have friends that are Hindus, they have friends that are Buddhists, they have friends that are Muslim, they have friends that are everywhere, right? And, and you know, so how can I say about these people, he who does not believe the sun shall not see life? It's hard for me to say that. When I know people personally that I care about, that are very good people, they are good people. They are good, moral, upright people. They serve, They've maybe they served me. And then to think about them and to say, well, look at what Christ said. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life. How can I believe that? How can I, how, how can I express that? It's easier for me to say, you know what? That can't be true. That can't be true. That way I'm not convicted or I have no responsibility to do anything. 
I have no responsibility. In my mind, okay, no, that can't be what it means. It has to mean something else. So I can continue to be friends with all these people, but I don't have to be awkward or uncomfortable to be put in a situation where I have to tell them the truth and say, hey, by the way, this religion that you believe in, this faith that you have, it's not leading you to a good place. Because this is what the Lord said. This is what God the Pantocrator said. He says, if you do not believe in the Son of God, what? You shall not see life. So if I really love people, if I really care about people, then I have to tell them the truth. I'm not speaking in relative terms. I'm speaking in absolute terms. In our society today, the concept of religion is no longer about truth. It's about what makes me feel comfortable, what makes me feel fulfilled, what makes me feel happy. That's what religion is. When people say that I believe a certain thing or a person takes some beliefs from one religion and another religion and a third religion and they combine them all together and say, this is what, this is what I believe. Well, where did you get this? How, who told you that this was the truth? What you believe contradicts every religion. No religion agrees with what you said. What you're saying contradicts Buddhism, contradicts Hinduism, contradicts Islam, contradicts Christianity. Because you have taken a buffet of all of these different faiths and combined them together. And the reason is because you think it, it's good because for you it makes you feel good. It makes you feel comfortable. It's what you feel you can accept. But is there any concept of it being true? Are we speaking only about what makes me feel good? Or are we speaking that there is a truth and that I need to believe in the truth? And whatever the truth is, is what we even sacrifice ourselves for. This is the way that Christ spoke. He spoke in absolutes. He said, if you believe in me, you will have life. If you do not believe in me, you do not have life. So how can we say otherwise? How can I say otherwise? Is it that we are kinder than God? Is it that we are more loving than God? Is it that I am more merciful than God when I look at those people who do not believe in him and say, oh, but somehow they are going to have salvation. This is not what God said. Now, this does not mean that we judge. It doesn't mean that we go to individuals and say, you know, you don't have salvation. In the end, this is God's judgment. But he is revealing to us something. He is revealing to us the means by which he judges. He's revealing to us the truth. And he's revealing this not so that we can go and point at people and say, look, you are not in the truth. No. He's saying, because you know this, and because you are, should have the love of God in you, then you are the ambassadors that are to go to these people that do not have the truth and preach the truth to them, so that they might believe, so that they might have salvation, so that they might believe the Son. But instead, so often what we do is we either don't want to believe the truth, and we just stay quiet, or we just keep it all to ourselves and do nothing with it. Christ is telling us these things for a reason. It's not just so that I can look at my own life and put a check mark and say, good, I believe in the Son, so that means I have life. No, he's telling us, you're responsible for everybody else. Those early preachers, those early apostles, they're the ones that founded the church and the whole world because they weren't just satisfied with their own salvation. They weren't just satisfied that, well, I'm good. I have salvation. I was with Christ for three years. I was, you know, uh, given the, the Holy Spirit on the Pentecost, so I'm good. This small group of people, this is all those people in the upper room that received the Holy Spirit, we're good. And now we don't have to do anything. If, if that's how they had done, were done, had done it, then none of us would be here. There would have been no salvation for anywhere in the world. But that's not the reason that Christ came. Christ came to that group of people so that they could then spread that message everywhere. Christ also said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
He made it very clear. There is no other way to the Father. There is no other way of, to God. There is no other way of salvation. So we do not do anyone a service when we kind of pretend that this isn't the case. We don't do anyone a service when we just kind of not talk about this because it's not popular. We don't do anyone service. And like I said, on the day of judgment, no one is going to come to us and say, thank you for not offending me. Thank you for not telling me the truth because I would have been upset. No one is going to say that. What they're going to say is, I wish I had known. I wish you had told me. I wish you kept like telling me. I wish you kept showing me so that in the end that I would believe. This is our responsibility. So in conclusion, we should not just be thinking about lifting other people in a way that is actually detrimental to their salvation. We should not be thinking about lifting other people up in a worldly way that is actually contrary to the scripture. We should not tolerate irreverence. If someone is speaking against God, we should not simply stay quiet and do nothing as though we accept this. If um, We should not agree with others just to gain their approval. We should not just be thinking about what is someone going to think about me based on what I say or do not say. We should not neglect the correction of sin. We should not compromise the truth to make it suit everyone. And we should not speak in relative terms to avoid offending other people. God was very merciful and loving and compassionate, but he was also very offensive. He was offensive to those in darkness. He was offensive to those people who rebelled against him. He was offensive to the hypocrites. He was offensive to those people who did not repent. To those people he was offensive. And if we try to avoid offending that group, if we try to avoid offending those living in darkness and to, av to avoid offending those people who are not repenting and living a life of willful sin, then we will find ourselves like them. We will find ourselves falling into this trap like them. This is not what Christ commanded us to do. Christ's mercy is unconditional but is not absolute. Christ's mercy has a limit. There is a limit to his mercy and there's also a limit to his justice. So we should look at him and he be our model of how is it that we should live, both showing love and mercy and also showing justice and, 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 and rebuking those people who are living in sin. And glory be to God forever. Amen.